The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion, greetings. Testing of your faith. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that a testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Uh, yeah, Father God, um, Lord, I just pray for new eyes and new sight this morning as we read through your word and through your scripture, Jesus. Um, God, I just pray that it's not, that we can just take out the assumptions that we have about this verse, Jesus, and that you can just give us a new sight again, Lord. Father God, I just pray for Randall as he preaches the word and the gospel this morning, that we can just put our eyes on you and only you this morning. Uh, thank you so much for this family, and thank you so much for your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Evan. Hey, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Good? All right, well, my name is Randall, and I'm a lead pastor at Grace City. It's great to see you this morning. Um, and I'm excited about this series because we are going through the whole book of James uh, during the summer. So we are starting in James 1, going all the way to the end, verse by verse. And I'm excited about that because James doesn't hold any punches. He comes direct in really what we need to hear. And, uh, and I think for a lot of us, if, if you've studied the Bible, you think, man, one of my favorite books is the book of James. I hear that all the time. And so we're gonna be studying the book of James. And my challenge to you is that as we study this book throughout the summer, that you find a few people to go through it with as we go through each verse, really dive in deep this summer. And so that's my challenge. So May through August, dive into the book of James, and I think you're gonna be able to pull some great gospel truths of what God wants to speak into your life. So here's the text this morning. We are going through James 1, 1 through 4, and the message is joy through the trials. Joy through the trials. So like I said, James does not hold any punches, but he starts with trials. And so what's God's goal for you as we read this book in the midst of trials? Well, it says it right there in the second verse, and it's this. Joy. Joy. See, what's going to separate you as a Christian from the rest of the world because everyone faces trials? Joy. And so how is that possible? Because for many of us today, as we walk in here, we say, that seems impossible. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing, James. How can you say that? Well, Elizabeth Elliot, who's a missionary to Ecuador, who lost her husband as they were ministering to an unreached people group, says this. She says, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Sit on that for a minute. Like, the secret to joy, the secret to contentment, the secret 
that when you're facing trials, you're gonna make it to the other end is this, Christ in me. See, for a lot of us, we wish that we would be in a different set of circumstances. I wish I wasn't facing this. I wish I wasn't going through this. But what would it look like to go through the trial and face it with joy? See, that's what today's text is about. Finding joy in the midst of trials. And this is why I love the book of James. Again, it starts out quick, direct, and to the point. James holds nothing back as he makes this appeal for joy as we face hardships. And the book of James can be described much like Jen Wilkin once said, let your actions shout the gospel. Let your actions shout the gospel that when you're going through hardships, how does God in your life shout good news? Because ultimately that's what we all need. That's what the world needs. And we will see how that plays out as we study this great book. And so first we need to ask this, who is James? Well, in verse one he says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Here's what we know about James. James most likely is the brother of Jesus. And he is the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so if there's anyone who could just say, hey, I'm James, and everybody knows who he is. It is this guy. It's Jesus' brother. But here's how he lays it out when he says, okay, I'm James. He says this, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting about James because at some point, he had to have become a believer and put his faith in Jesus, his brother, as the son of God. This is a miracle because when we first meet James, we, we meet him in Mark 3.31, and he's not a believer in Jesus at all. He was skeptical because as the ministry of Jesus was going forward, James, along with his mother and brothers, was like, hey, Jesus, come along with us. Like, stop what you're doing. That's when Jesus was declared. He said, um, who are my mother and my brothers? Who's my family? Those who follow the will of God. But at some point, James goes from skeptic to believer and he is now writing this book to other believers. And let's think about it for a minute. If anybody knows you better than anyone else, it's gonna be your family, right? And James, says, okay, Jesus, I'm your servant, and you are Lord. That's really interesting. See, another, another apologetic for the gospel is Jesus' own family worshiped him. And so look at the second part of verse one. It says this, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now here in particular, he is talking in this book to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. But those he is also talking to would be believers like you and me. Not just Jewish Christians, but all Christians because we're reading this today. See, he is linking us, all of us, to Israel's heritage from the beginning all the way back in the book of Genesis. 
See, the Bible is not separate stories, but it is one big story, one big narrative of God shaping a people for himself, and we're a part of that as we believe in Jesus. See, he's connecting us to believers all the way back then, and he's saying this, that we're in the same line and lineage as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, See, it's much of a reminder like in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the the book right before the book of James. In Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, right, where we see all of these people that have followed God throughout history and had faith in God. And now we are included in that lineage with those people, and James is, make, James is making that connection, and so now we get to James 1, 1 through 4, and here's the question. How do you, how do I face trials with joy? How do we do this? Well, James, which we'll see all throughout the book, he gives us three practical components on what to do, on how it works. And it starts with, number one, a new perspective, a new perspective, number two, a new knowledge, and number three, a new maturity. A new perspective, a new knowledge, a new maturity. And so we're gonna break down this text today, starting in verse two, as we look at the first point, a new perspective. And here's what he says. He starts out in verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if you were to think of a new perspective on trials, this is it, right? And so how does this text give us a new perspective? Well, first, look at the end of the verse. It says this. When you meet trials. Now, the wording James uses here is very important. When he says when, he says that for a reason. Commentator on this text, Sam Albury, says... The key here is to see that James says, whenever, whenever. Not if, but when. Trials are normal. They're not unexpected or freak occurrences. They are, sadly, part and parcel of the regular Christian life. See, it's not if, it's when. That's important. See, for a lot of us, when trials come, we are shocked. It hits us out of nowhere. It feels like a gut punch. But James is very direct when he says, when you meet trials. See, here's the truth. Everyone, Christian and non-Christian, face trials. And James gives us the perspective that trials will keep coming. It doesn't stop. I know, it's hard to take, right? But he's preparing us so that we are not surprised by difficulty. It's like, much like my friend Janie Cahuto says, she says, life is a constant trust fall. That's what it is. It's just like when you go and you do the trust fall and you want to, okay, I'm good. And then it's another trust fall. Hold on, wait, 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 I wasn't ready. I just needed a breather. I just needed a break. Hits us again. So now that we know 
we start there at the end. When you meet them, now we get to the beginning of the verse, and here's what James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now, count can also be translated consider. And here's the thing about that word consider. Consider is a thinking word, isn't it? Not a feeling word. James wants us to think about what we are going through, not to shut off our minds. A lot of us, let's be honest, are controlled by our feelings. Our feelings direct our day. Our feelings direct what's happening and in, in, in what direction we're going in and what we're thinking, doesn't it? A lot of the times it's about our feelings. But this is important. It doesn't mean that feelings don't matter, but he says to consider. Craig Blomberg and Miriam Camel uh, give this insight. They say, James does not command us to wear our happy faces that so many uh, seem to think are required in church or in other Christian circles. He doesn't say, okay, be happy that you're going through this. But he said, could you consider, could you think for a minute that there's something that's bigger that's happening? You see, what is joy? Well, many have made the distinction about joy and happiness, and they say that they're different. Say that happiness is based on external circumstances and how things are going, and happiness can be really good or really bad based on what's happening on the outside. But joy is based on a contentment and peace no matter the external circumstances. And so James says, consider that you and me as, as a Christian, we can have trials in life, but what would it look like to face it with joy? What would it look like to be joyful about that? See, have you considered that? Has that been a possibility? Let's be honest, in, in San Diego, a lot of the times our Joy is based off of whether the sun's out or not. I mean, I, I, I saw so many happy faces in the courtyard today, didn't you? It was like, wow, I love this. The sun's out. This is great. But man, do not run into a San Diegan when it's a cloudy day outside. <laughs> not fun. And so that really quickly should distinguish us as Christians as we face the day with joy, even a cloudy day. See, joy is not found in circumstances, it's found in this perspective. A perspective that God is with us in the midst of our difficulties. He's with us in the midst of our circumstances. That's why I love that the Bible includes books like Job. Job is full of suffering, yet he is a man of God. He loves God. And he's going through terrible tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And here's what it says in Job 42 too. It says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So as he's talking with God, as he's looking to God in the midst of his trials, he wasn't happy that he was going through it, but he was, he was content because he knew that God was able to get him through. See, this is a different perspective on life and this is what the Bible invites us into as we face trials. The second point is a new knowledge. A new knowledge, look at verse three. 
It says, for you know, again, a thinking word, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So Angela Duckworth in her book Grit says, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. It's common to be excited, have enthusiasm about something, but to have endurance is rare. But here's the thing. As James is talking, he's saying it shouldn't be rare among Christians. It shouldn't be rare amongst people who believe in God. See, James now tells us how to become people of endurance when we face trials. And there are two parts to this. First is a new knowledge that, number one, tests challenge our faith. They challenge our faith. Look at verse three. He says, you know that the testing of your faith. Okay, so there's something that's happening that's much deeper when you're going through trials. It's testing your faith. What is faith? It's believing in God when you don't see the results. It's trusting that he's still there even though you don't see everything working out around you. It's putting your faith in him. See, this is much deeper than what's on the surface. There's something that God is working that's much deeper within us. And we're not always gonna be able to see the results till later. See, why do tests and trials come? Well, many times I've found in my own life that tests are meant to expose my weakness. They're meant to expose my weak, fragile faith. If I didn't go through that difficulty, if I didn't go through that challenge, if I didn't go through that test, I wouldn't realize how fragile I really am. How many gospel fractures that are hidden deep inside my heart. See, tests are meant to expose the areas we are putting our faith in something other than Jesus. And so we have tests of faith. I was talking with a friend this week. He said this illustration, he says, life is like a bridge. He says, you're the bridge. And many times there are cars that will pass over and it's like the challenges that we face in life. But sometimes we have those semis and those Mack trucks that just come rolling over the bridge. And what are those things? Those are the things that are really gonna show the foundation of that bridge. Is it gonna hold up? Is it gonna last? Is it gonna start to shake? See, many of us have faced things and we say, well, that's just a small challenge. It's not that big of a deal. And we can say we held up under it. But when we get those Mack trucks and those semis coming over the bridge of life, it's really gonna start to expose some of the cracks in the foundation, isn't it? It's gonna start to shake a little bit. And when it comes to our life of faith, it's on purpose so that we can see that whatever it is that we're building that foundation on, it's not a good foundation. It's a little shaky, it's a little rocky. We, we, We shouldn't be putting our faith in that thing. The second part of these tests is this. Tests have a goal. They have a goal. There is a goal in mind. James says tests are intended to produce steadfastness. 
See, there is a purpose to why you're facing what you're facing. Right, like it's, here's the thing. God does not cause evil in this world. He does not cause harm. It's not him. We live in a sinful world. Yet God can work through the most devastating challenges that we face. And in the end, and it's not some cliche thing like, well, everything has a purpose and all this stuff. But it comes down to what is our foundation? What's the goal? It's to expose something that's weak so that God can make it strong. You say, well, I've seen people who've gone through some things that didn't get stronger through the trials. They, They actually got worse. What that is is the foundation starting to corrode. It's the foundation starting to fall apart. And God is promising and saying, hey, I will be there to be the safety net that you need when you're facing your most difficult challenges. We lean upon God, not ourselves. See, but we must look at verse two. When we think of that, like they actually got worse. Here's the thing, he says, my brothers, Brothers and sisters, there's a specific audience he is talking to here. James is talking to people who put their faith in God. See, in, it's much like Proverbs, and we're going to read this. Like, th- this is considered like the, the wisdom literature of the New Testament. One of the earliest books in the New Testament is James. Okay, and so this is considered like wisdom literature. And, and much like Proverbs in that sense, it's not saying that only Christians get stronger through trials. People do get stronger through trials. They, they face things. But here's the principle. That Christians will get stronger not in their own strength, but in God's strength. They don't get there on their own. But they know that it's God who did it. See, this past week, I had one of those dad moments. I don't know if you dads out there know the dad moment, but it's not fun. I'm sitting in the car with my four-year-old, six-year-old, and eight-year-old. I'm trying to get them ready for school, get them out the door so that I can get them where they need to be. And as we are sitting in the driveway, explosion, fireworks happen within the car as my middle daughter says that my older son touched her. (laughs) Touched her. And then he said, well, I touched her because she said this, and then it's the blame game and all of these things, and everything just starts to explode in the car. My four-year-old's just sitting there like, (laughs) quiet. And it was the reality of our brokenness, and sin as I'm like, stop it! Stop it! And the, in that moment, I'm not, I, I started to pray out loud. I said, Lord, you know. You know my kids, right? You know their heart. You know what's going on. There is a fight happening right now. It is ugly. I heard terrible things being said right now. I don't know what to do, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Car goes quiet. 
car goes quiet. And uh, first thing out of my daughter's mouth is, I'm sorry, Kai. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. As a parent, I have had moments where it feels like the Mack truck is going over the bridge. Cracks in the foundation. And the only thing that gets me through is, Jesus, I need your help. And here's the thing about being a parent is I need my kids to know that that's the only thing that can help dad. That's it. Dad moments. But here's the thing I know. I need the test as much as I don't want it. I don't want the test at 745 when I got to get the kids to school at 8. But it happens. (laughs) And we need the test so that God can show me my weakness and say, here's a new knowledge about yourself. Randall, you're not strong enough to be the dad you need to be. You can't do it. But I'm there with you. And I'm there holding you. And I'm there encouraging you to get through this on his strength, not my own. See, and that's the greatest knowledge we could ever have. As as much as it hurts at the time, as hard as it is at the time, that's the knowledge I need more than anything is that God is with me and that he is my provider and my strength. And that's what you need as well. So the third part is this. Here's what happens. Verse four, it's a new maturity. A new maturity happens in your life. It says, and let, and let steadfastness, right, like not giving up, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Look at the be- beginning of verse four. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. It's the visual that, that's much like the egg about to hatch, the cocoon about to open, the seed about to sprout. You see, as you are trusting God through the trial, he is shaping you into someone you could have never been on your own. And he is creating a masterpiece in your life that would not have been done if you didn't go through this. And here's the thing, I know. It's hard to believe at times. It's hard to believe that God could be there loving me through my worst moments. But God in his grace is doing something much bigger than what we can see. You see, last night I was sitting there as my wife and, and little Ava, my daughter, four-year-old, is, or, is watching a movie together and in the middle of the movie, Ava just starts crying. She's in tears it's, you know, it's like the, the movie has that climax where everything gets really hard and difficult. Every movie has it, right? So it's that climax of like, what's going to happen next? And she's just in tears. And you know the encouragement that my wife kept giving my daughter is this. It's not over. It's not over. The story is not over. It's going to be okay because here's what Ephesians 3.20 says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think or think according to the power that works within us. See, for many of us, we think that the story's over. It's done. We're, we're, we're weeping in the middle of the story. 
But the gospel, the good news is that, no, let steadfast have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? Well, that's what it looks like to be mature. See, here's the thing. When you get to the end of a trial, you realize that in God, you had everything you needed to get you through that trial. That, you know, you you go into and you think, I'm lacking this and this and this and this. And God's saying, as you get to the end of the trial, that you're actually lacking nothing because I gave you everything. So you had everything you needed to survive it. And so again, what's the purpose of all of this? As God strips us down, we realize that we are complete in him, not lacking anything. It's when someone gets to the point and they say that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is the one that completes me. That that I'm actually lacking nothing. That I thought I was missing some things in my life, but I've got everything I need. And what happens is it brings this joy that cannot be explained. Timothy Keller says it well when he says, sometimes you don't know Jesus is all you need until you know Jesus is all you have. See, when everything gets stripped away, what is left? There's a struggle in all of us that feels like we never have enough. That movie that my daughter was watching is, was The Greatest Showman. And uh, in the song, there's a song called Never Enough. And here's what it says. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough, never be enough for me. Right, the story is based on P.T. Barnum who started the Barnum and Bailey Circus and it was the fame and the glitz and the glamour that he thought he needed in his life It'll never be enough. But as God strips those things away in us, the things that really don't matter, and we find Jesus, we find that he is enough. And here's the thing about Jesus. He loves you so much that he's willing to do the hard work to pull the junk away in our lives and see that it's all about him. And that in him, we lack nothing. And so quickly, here are some takeaways as we finish this message out and really some things that we can take away to help apply to our lives. And so the first one is this. Expect all types of trials. Expect it. Like as a Christian, like we cannot go into the world without knowing this. Expect it. There are various kinds, he says. But here's the thing about trials. They are also temporary. See, there are are small trials, big trials, minor trials, major trials, all types. But remember that in the end, they're meant to point us to our need for God. David Platt says, we need to realize that the trials are not joyful in and of themselves, but they are joyful when we realize that 
they are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purposes through them. Like God is sovereign through them. And so expect all types. The second is this, pray for true joy. Pray for true joy. See, sometimes we, we, we just expect, okay, well, he says consider all joy, and so we're gonna just be joyful people. But that's not how it works. Pray for joy. See, what does perseverance look like for a Christian? Persevering in prayer. Praying, just like when you're in that moment, God, help me, I don't have what it takes. See, there are many of us that are living hopeless right now, wondering how we're going to survive. But this is the way that we don't give up. It's when we lean into God, into his love, into his strength, and asking God, please help me, I I need your joy. I need your joy, God. It's not this fake mustard up thing, like, you know, like, I'm just gonna muster up some joy in my life right now. That's not what the Bible encourages us to do, but looking to God. See, as we look at Jesus through the scripture, he faced the most difficult life that could have ever been faced. Yet we get this picture of Jesus being filled with joy. See, that's God. God is filled with joy, and he wants to share that joy with you and me today. See, it won't be from yourself. It will be from him. Next is don't give up. Don't give up. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, said this. He says, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. Through failure, we learn a lesson in humility, which is probably needed, painful though it is. Right? He's saying, like, we can be offered grace to go through trials and that ultimately God will accomplish his work. But we have to apply ourselves to the process. We have to ask God and say, God, help me not to give up. Because we get these beautiful promises like in Philippians 1.6 when it says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, and I'm sure of this. Right, so the Apostle Paul says there is a God who doesn't give up. So as you're ready to give up through whatever trial you're facing, you need to look up at the God who is not giving up on you. He's not giving up on you in the midst of your trial because he loves you and he's working out something that will be seen on the completion of the day of Jesus Christ when Jesus comes. Lastly, and this is a really practical one, it's this, rest and reflect. Rest and reflect. How many of us just keep going and going and going through life and we don't stop? See, some of you are going through major trials and tragedies right now, but you're just not stopping because you're like, I just gotta keep going. But the the Bible invites us to have space. In in verse two, again, it says to consider. Have you taken time to consider that God could be doing something bigger than you see right now? Could you believe that he is maturing you in ways that you wouldn't have expected? as you face some of the most difficult seasons in your life? 
So you get, why would he allow this? Why would God put us through this? Why? Could you believe it's because he loves you? As he strips that junk away, the things that will not last, he's making something authentic and real. And so let's end with this here. Ultimately, how is it possible to have joy in our trials? You remember I talked about Hebrews 11 and just the, the, the lineage of faith that we come from? Right, as we look at all of those who've gone before us, well, you know how it finishes out in Hebrews 12 after it goes through Hebrews chapter 11 and gets to 12, verse two. And here's what it says. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So you have this race, and it says, let us run with endurance. Like, don't give up, okay? But yeah, but, but, but it's hard, and I need some joy in my life. Look at verse two, looking at Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, it's not until we see Jesus joyfully going to his greatest trial, the cross, for you, for me. See, Jesus enduring the cross for me it's when you see him saying things like this in Matthew 25, 23, when it says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. See, it's not your joy that will carry you through the trials. It's his joy. He says, enter my joy. Have you experienced that? Have you given yourself space to consider that? It has the power to pull you through anything in life. See, what it is, it's not, like Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Lord, help us believe that today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for how the book of James meets us right where we're at and challenges us with the truth of we will face trials but we can find a joy in you that surpasses anything that we can try to muster up, the strength, the ability to do it on our own. Lord, I pray that we will be a church that is dependent on you as we face our most difficult challenge, our sin. We know it's been died for on the cross, but yet every day we still face the repercussions of living in this world. And so Lord, I pray that you help us to mature, to grow, and to find the grace that you offer us each day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com.
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.